All right. Good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning. All right. Happy Sunday. Uh, if you would go ahead and open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go. All right. Y'all are on top of it this morning. The Lord, his very self, is going to speak to us. Uh, before we jump into that, if you are new, uh, there's a connect card on your chair. We would love to get to know you. We would love to help you on your journey in life, wherever you may be. Uh, please turn that in out that way or on your way out here. And we would love to give you a black box with some cool things in it. And so please do that. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. Even if you're not new, but you've just been avoiding all of this, you know, today's the day, okay? Today's the day. Go ahead. Be vulnerable. You're going you're gonna to be okay. It's going to be great. So go ahead and turn that in. Hey, an awesome thing coming up this Saturday. We have the Fall Festival. Boom. Yes, we're very excited about that. This Saturday, 3 to 5, right here in our little field. Any fall thing you can imagine, okay? If it makes you think of pumpkins, apple cider, kettle corn, trick, trunk or treat, whatever, okay, they'll be there. So bring your cute little kids, take some pictures over here. Uh, bring your family, bring your neighborhood, bring your friends, bring your uncles and your aunts and your mamas and daddies. Bring everybody, okay, because it's going to be a great time together in our church life, also with our community. Uh, and most importantly, we're going to exalt the name of Jesus there. And so it's going to be fun, and it's going to be glorious. And so please come this Saturday, 3 to 5. It's going to be a great time for us to hang uh, together as a family. Uh, and please use this time to invite neighbors, invite friends. Uh, what a great opportunity uh, to minister to people. And so that's going to be this Saturday. Okay, so today, like I said, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, which uh, is not Ecclesiastes. So um, we, we, the last couple of weeks, the Lord has obviously, if you've been here, has seemed to really press in upon a particular thing for our church, particular struggles uh, in relation to some of my experience, but also in relation to what's been happening the last couple of weeks. I've never gotten uh, more feedback or anything like that in my life, and uh, even last week when we jettisoned the planned sermon, and we went with the Holy Spirit sermon. Uh, there were so many people that would tell me that they, the Holy Spirit hijacked my sermon for them and that they felt very seen by God, that there was something that had happened where they had been praying, and finally the Lord said something to them. And maybe that's some of you. All that to say, I felt very confirmed in my spirit and then with our team that the Lord seems to be pressing in on something for the sake of our congregation, for the sake of our community, particularly in regards to struggles, mental, emotional struggles, uh, being brokenhearted, downcast, whatever it might be in your particular struggle or, or things that you might be going through in your life that are inner or outer. And the Lord really wants to bless and speak to that. So I know at the very least I have two more messages that the Lord wants me to share um, that after Sunday I was very sure of. And so we're going to at least do those two, and then we'll see what the Lord continues to do. But I also want to share something with you that I think has given me some insight into what's been going on the last couple of weeks with our church and with myself. Uh, over the summer, and my, my team knows this, and a lot of the leaders here, because I had shared this, but I got really stuck on a passage in John chapter 5, kind of obsessed with it, where Jesus says this. He says, I do nothing of my own accord, but only what I see the Father doing, as he does, so I do likewise. Now, if you sit and think about that for a minute, I just began to think, okay, wait, wait, wait. He does, Jesus, Jesus does nothing of his own accord according to his own plans or thoughts, but only what he sees 
the Father doing? As the Father does, so he does likewise. And that just like, I just couldn't stop. I just like got enraptured by that. And I kept thinking like, Lord, 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 that's all I want to do. I just want to see what the Father is doing and I want to do that. I don't want to do what we think. I don't want to do what we plan. I don't want to do what we think we should do. I don't want to do what other churches are doing. I don't even want to do what you're supposed to do. Or what you think you're supposed to do. I don't want to work by our skill sets or our talents or our resources. I don't want to gather our minds together and come up with the best plan. I don't want to do any of that, even though it's not bad. I just want to do what the Father's doing. And it's just like, what does that mean? How do I access that? Is there something I'm not seeing? Are our own ambitions getting in the way of what the Father's doing, our own ideas, our own plans? Do we pray enough? Do we know what the Father's doing? I just want to see what the Father's doing, and I want to do that. I just became obsessed with this. I was like, Lord, that's it. That's ministry. I don't know any other way to be a pastor. And I'm in great danger of like doing what I think we should do or our team thinks we should do or what good planning does or all these things, which once again aren't bad. I just felt so overwhelmed. I just want to do what the Father's doing. So I began to share this with our team and with our leaders. And over a few weeks, I had this great conviction from the Lord that I needed to, as I heard from him, stop learning and start praying. And what that meant for me in this season of time was I had to let go of every podcast, leadership book, principle of ministry, things other pastors say, anything. So like this is my job, right? This is, so if I'm going to professionally develop, I'm going to spend a lot of time learning about churches, pastors, reading, podcasting, leadership, stuff like that. Okay, this is part of what I do to help get better at what I do and learning how to preach better, all these different things, which are good, and I think I should do those things, and I think you should do those things at your job, whatever it is. And so I I was committed to that, and I always wanted to learn and grow. And I just felt real clear in this season that the Lord was like, you need to set all of that aside and only talk to me. That's it. You need to only learn from me. You need to only have spiritual eyes to hear and see what I'm doing. And so I want you to set that aside. Not that it's bad. You'll probably pick it back up sometime. And so I literally stopped reading different books. I stopped listening to podcasts. And I only, in any of my time to develop myself or to whatever, uh, would go to the Bible and I would pray. And I began to journal a little bit more in this season. And so I was asking the Lord, I just, I just have to do this. I, I have to know what you're doing and I want to do that. So that's what, we were, that's what I was kind of obsessed with for a few months and trying to discern that from the Lord. So I'd given up all these other things. Uh, and then that kind of um, settled in to a reality for me. Eventually, I started to pick back up little by little, uh, a few tidbits here and there, starting to learn different ways. And then, like a month ago-ish, was when this new season of life had hit me that I've been sharing with you, the blanket of sorrow, just the struggles with the thoughts, all these different things, trying to manage um, my day-to-day and trying to navigate these new feelings and struggles mentally and emotionally for myself which is all very new to me and very overwhelming. And so I've been in the middle of that. And then through that, we've had the last couple messages, which seem to have really uh, helped many, and I pray they continue to do so. So this week, this last week, I was spending time with the Lord, writing, uh, reading, and just kind of with the Lord trying to navigate who he is, what's going on with me, all these different things. And in that time with the Lord, he reminded me very clearly of this idea from John chapter 5. And one of the things I felt very assured of in this time with him, and this is once again a reminder to you that your relationship with God is certainly firm on the word of God, but it ought to be dynamic. He talks, you talk, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't necessarily have to hear him audibly, but there should be some learning and growing and leading in your life. It's like, this is a relationship with God who's a person. And so trying more and more to learn to navigate my relationship with him, it's not static, 
It's dynamic. And so uh, as he's speaking and leading according to his word, while I'm spending time in his word to make sure it's according to who he is and what he has said, not my own thoughts, I felt very clear that he was leading me and saying, hey, uh, the way that I'm planning and am revealing what I'm doing is by bringing you through it. That was very clear to me in the sense where you had been praying, reveal what the Father is doing because I want to do that. And then this last month, I have been bringing you through something as a means of revealing what I'm doing in the life of the people and in the life of the community. And so this has been some assurance between me and God that we ought to continue to put our um, emphasis and time on this and that the Lord is in part one of the reasons. There are many, many, many reasons that this is happening to me that I can discern so far. But one of them is that this is an answer to the prayer. I only want to do what the Father is doing. And now, by me personally going through a different season, the Lord is revealing to me and revealing to us that he wants to do a unique work, I believe, of restoration, encouragement, and hope. In a supernatural way. I mean, the Lord is always restoring and he is always mending what is broken. But there's a sense that there is going to be and is sort of an outpouring of God's ministry to the brokenhearted, to the struggling, to the anxious, to the depressed, uh, to those with emotional and mental health struggles and turmoils, that the Lord wants you to know that you are seen, that you are loved, and that he is working in your life. And he wants to bless you with a word from scripture and he wants to reveal himself to you and he wants to supernaturally restore the things that are broken in you. And I think this is part of what the Lord is revealing to me. And so 2 Corinthians 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Before we do that real quick, um, I wanted to share a couple of verses from Ecclesiastes 7. Since I had been studying Ecclesiastes for our series, there are still bits and pieces of it, a lot of it really that applies to our current kind of shift in thinking, and so I'm going to keep bringing those pieces in through the next few weeks, even though we're not going to focus on them. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now, this sounds like a very depressing passage, and it sort of is at some, some level. But that word that stood out to me is the word better. It is better to go to the house of mourning than feasting. Some versions will say it is better to go to a funeral than a party. It is better to be sorrowful than to be laughing. It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of mirth. And like as we talked about in Ecclesiastes, these are all things in season. So he's not saying it's better to always be sad forever. Of course not. But he is saying that there might be seasons and times in life where it's better. And what I, what I want to say to you this morning and what I've been telling myself is when you're in that season, you say to yourself, this is worse. But God wants to say to you, what if it's better? What if it's better? Not that it feels better. Not that being suffering is better, but what if what God wants to do in your heart and life in this season through this particular situation and circumstance is better? You keep telling yourself this is worse, which is what I tell myself. Like, I felt better a month ago. Can I go back to that, Nate? And he said, no, 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 this isn't worse. What if this is better? 
This is the perspective shift the Lord is teaching me that I want. I think he wants to teach you, once again, not to minimize the suffering or say the suffering in and of itself is good. But what if this season of your life, because of what God is doing, what if in this season the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting? And we're going to see from 2 Corinthians 4 how that might be. And so we're going to go ahead and open that now. And starting in verse 1, and through 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to answer the question that we're asking today. What is happening to me? Last week, the question from God was, what are you doing here? Which he spoke to Elijah in the midst of his distress. The question we want to answer today is, what is happening to me? For you to reflect and to process what is happening to you, what has happened to you, what will happen to you, and for you to have a biblical perspective from the word of God as to how to navigate seasons of sorrow and distress. So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 Let's start there. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. It's my prayer for you this morning. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to pause real quick just to let those of you here know who are still apart from Christ, those of you who might be watching online, maybe a friend sends you this or whatnot, and you would say, I am not a follower of Christ. I reject him, who he is in Christianity wholesale, or I'm still learning and I'm not sure about these things. Uh, You're here sitting in this seat this morning. We're very glad that you're here, but I don't want you to be mistaken on what's happening in your life. It's not that you're rejecting a Jesus whom you know and can discern who he is and reject. It's that Satan himself is blinding your eyes so that you cannot see who Jesus really is. You have not rejected who Jesus really is. You have rejected your perception of who Jesus really is. And what God needs to do in this moment for you is pull back the blinders of your eyes, remove the veil sitting in front of your face, because, listen to me, no one who really sees Jesus as he is turns from him. The revelation of Jesus Christ is unto salvation. Nobody sees him for real and walks away. That doesn't happen. Biblically, that doesn't happen. He's too beautiful, too glorious, too wonderful. The reason that you are rejecting him is that you don't see him. I want you to understand this this morning, and I want you to pray a little prayer in your heart that God would reveal who he really is to you. Because you are rejecting what you do not know. And if you saw him for who he is, you would worship him. And that's a guarantee. And that's my prayer for those of you outside of Christ this morning, that you would receive this and that you would understand what is happening to me. Why do I not believe? That's why you need supernatural deliverance, which God wants to make available to you through faith in Christ this morning. So verse 7, he says, now this is where we really get into the suffering of especially Christ followers. What does that look like for us? But we have this treasure in jars of clay, 
to show that their surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. I want you to hear those words directly from God to you. This is God's words, not Nate's idea. So we do not lose heart. God, does want, God wants you to be encouraged and to not lose heart this morning. This is his desire. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So there's a reason why we're in this passage this morning and that I was so sure of it even last Sunday, about two months ago. So this would be about a month before um, my current more extreme struggles. Uh, I had a discouraging kind of season. It was a normal type of discouragement though, some ministry kind of discouragement, some struggles. Uh, but anyways, different things going on. And it was just like, I felt a little down. It was a normal, for me at least, a normal level of being down. And so I just went to the word. Uh, one Wednesday night, I just set aside some real time with God. And I remember going to him and just journaling, saying, man, this is what's happening. This is what's making me upset. This is what I'm discouraged about. What are you trying to teach me? And he led me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in that time with the Lord, he revealed eight things about this passage that he gave me in that day to encourage me and to help me to be able to press on with the work that he calls me to do. So these eight things I feel very sure about that I need to share with you this morning because these eight things are not only going to help answer the question, what is happening to me? It's also going to help answer the question, well, where do I go from here? How do I navigate what is happening to me? How do I deal with this season of discouragement, sorrow, anxiety, fear, brokenheartedness, all that, all that? What do I do with all of those feelings? And so the Lord gave that to me then, which I thought was very helpful in the moment. But what I didn't know was that instead of it really being for then, he gave it to me for now ahead of time, because he's so nice. And something I had appreciated two months ago, I completely was dependent on now. It wasn't like, oh, this is nice. You know, sometimes you realize, oh, that's a nice truth. It was like, no, 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 like, I, this is life or death for me. I need this right now. I have to believe this. And so that's been really helpful to me. And these eight things I have leaned on a lot over this last month. And so I hope it's helpful to you in the same way. So that's my goal this morning. Uh, and so let's do the first one. Number one, these are all ones that you should write down. Number one, ministry is an act of God's mercy. Look at this, first one. Therefore, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. Now, ministry is not something pastors do. It's something every Christian does. 
Ministry is something you do as a Christ follower in your home. Ministry is something you do as a Christ follower at work, something you do within your friend circle. Ministry is the very thing that you live your life to do as a Christ follower. It is not just something professionals do in the church. And so what he's talking about isn't just to pastors or church leaders, but to every Christ follower, that the ministry that God has given you at work, in your home, with your particular life situation, is a mercy from God, which means that you can look at whatever it is that you're going through, you can look at the situation around you, and at the very least, you can say, this comes to me from the mercy of God. You see what he's saying? This is a part of God's mercy to me. As a matter of fact, this particular thing is a gift from God to me, and it's going to give me the opportunity to join alongside with him and continue to do ministry for him and for others. The opportunity to do ministry is an act of God's mercy, and that includes every difficulty that comes with it. He doesn't say the good parts of doing ministry. He doesn't say the successful parts. He doesn't say the enjoyable parts. He doesn't say, well, just the good parts of parenting, just the good parts of going to work, just the good parts. No, no, no. All of it as a whole is from the mercy of God. And it is a gift to me from my Father. This is the perspective that God wants you to have this morning, that your current reality is, at the very least, a part of God's mercy to you. Even though it may be difficult and even though you may not understand, he says, we have this ministry, this opportunity to serve, this opportunity to share the gospel, this opportunity to raise these children to love the Lord, this opportunity to go to that workplace that I hate, this opportunity to do again the very thing that I'm having trouble staying doing, this opportunity, I have this opportunity in this season of life at this particular time with these particular people as an act of God's mercy to me. And you should wake up every day and receive the new mercies God has for you, Lamentations 3, and then walk in that day, every conversation, every person that crosses your path, everything that you're called to do that day is a gift from God. It is an opportunity to experience the mercy of God. It is from the Father's heart, is what I want you to understand. So that's number one. Ministry is an act of God's mercy. Number two, we serve others for Jesus' sake. This helps when we deal with what we called last week mission fatigue. So when you see Elijah having great victories on the mountaintop and then feeling like this was all pointless because nothing changed. As a matter of fact, life gets worse instead of better. Instead of walking in the victory, I'm confronted by my enemy. Now what do I do when this kind of reality sets foot in my life? What do I do when it feels like I'm trying to serve the Lord and things don't seem to be changing? What do I do when I keep praying and nothing happens? What do I do when I keep serving people but they don't give anything back? What do I do? What do I do when I'm trying to do what the Lord wants me to do, and I'm just worn out and done. What do you do when that season comes upon your life for those who are following Christ? Well, verse 5 is very helpful. We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus, and we serve others for Jesus' sake, which means we have been taken out of the equation. This was helpful. It's a little bit of a conviction mark and a reality check to say, you served others for his sake, not for your sake. You come to church to serve, for any of us, right, for others unto him. This will really help when you start to get on the edge of burnout. You feel like you're doing so much to say, 
my feelings of how this is going or whether I'm even receiving what I thought I would like to receive out of this moment matters to God, but it isn't the primary thing here. In my life towards him, it is to others for him. To others for him. To others for him. To others for him. That's it. And so we show up, we serve to others for him. And now my particular situation, how it's affecting me, the frustrations I may be experiencing, these things begin to take second place and I can fix my eyes on what God is doing to others and for him. And then I can endure and I can persevere. And this is going to help many of you who, like Elijah last week, are suffering from what we call mission fatigue. You continue to try to do what God wants you to do. It doesn't seem to be working out. And it feels like it backfires at times to say, okay, okay, I serve others for Jesus' sake, period. And I can spend my entire life doing that by the strength that God gives me. Each one of you now has that perspective, and you ought to continue in that perspective so that you can endure and continue to do what God has called you to do, even when it feels difficult and painful. Number three, now this is when we really get into your, your particular struggles. Number three, there is a reason for my weakness. The cracks reveal the Christ. There is a reason for my weakness. The cracks reveal the Christ. Look what he says. But we have this treasure being the gospel, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the treasure of who Jesus is. We have this beautiful, wonderful treasure in a jar of clay, in something breakable, something easily crackable, something that wears down. Why? Why do I have the beautiful gospel residing in my terrible flesh? Why does the beauty of Jesus sit within my mental struggles? Why is the glory of God hidden behind my emotional ups and downs? Why is God who reigns on high? dwelling within me, my little body that's broken and gets hurt and struggles. Why is that happening? Why? Look at this. To show the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Listen to me. There is a reason for your weakness. There is a reason for your mental struggles. There is a reason for your difficult situation. There is a reason for the cracks that keep cracking in your life. Because with every crack that cracks, the glory of who Christ is inside of you gets revealed. There would be no revelation of Christ in you without a crack on the outer part of you. You see, the cracks reveal the Christ. It shows who Jesus is. I want to give you a quick example of this. This is so very important for us. So in these two jars here, now some of you say, this is technically a jar of clay, and I know it is, but it's going to do the opposite of what it's supposed to do, okay? So in these two little cups, I have two gift cards. Now, none of you know what kind of gift cards are in here. As a matter of fact, you don't know how much they're worth. You don't know anything about these gift cards, whether you'd be interested in them or not, whether they go to a place you like or they don't go to a place you like. And there's a couple ways that I could try to show you, but let's say you take this and you're like, okay, I'm going to take these scissors and I'm going to cut it away so that you can see what's on the inside. And I do this and I start to bang on it and try to cut, 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 cut. And you're like, well, that's not going to work. I still can't see. And the reason is because the outside is too strong. And because the outside is so strong, you can't see the glory of what's on the inside. So it actually doesn't do it much good. Now, this, on the other hand, would seem less preferable. This is much weaker. We'd much rather be strong than weak. Okay? One of the things I've been dealing with this last month is I much prefer to be strong than weak. I don't like to be a burden to someone else. I would rather be emotionally stable. Do you think I like the fact that my wife has to deal with me? You know, I'd rather help her, you know? And then I'm like, man, and she's doing a wonderful job. What an amazing wife, okay? Y'all get yourself a good wife out there, okay? It's gonna help you. 
all right? What an amazing, I mean, I just, I have to give props to her. I mean, she's just been a blessing. What an amazing person. So I'm very thankful for her. But you say, man, I'd rather be strong than weak. Like, I'd rather be a blessing than a burden. I've been mentally struggling with that, okay? Because I'm not myself, I can't bring what I normally bring to the table, and that makes me feel like I'm a burden to others. And I don't want to be a burden. I'd rather be strong than weak. And so now, I'm like, I prefer to be this, uh, but God's dealing with this. And so you take this, you say, well, what's on the inside? You say, I don't know. But then you try to start cutting it. And the circumstances of life, you know, begin to cut away. And that pain and that mental health struggle and those anxieties and that loss, you know, that you're grieving. You know, part of what I'm learning is a loss two years ago. It just kind of hit me like a new wave, you know. I'm grieving once again, you know, unexpectedly. So maybe for some of you, that's it. And these things are just cutting your life away, you know. And they're just cutting and cutting. You're like, this is really unpleasant, you know. This doesn't look like, like, this is my, this is me. This doesn't, you know, I'd much rather be that thing when the circumstances of life can't break me, you know? That's better. I prefer to be that. But the more I begin to do this, the more you begin to see what's on the inside, and it is the glory of a Target gift card, okay? This is going to bless your life. Nobody would say no to a Target gift card. This is what I know. Uh, and this will help you when you go in for toothpaste and come out spending $200, uh, you know, because Target knows how to get you. I'm at least going to help you a little bit. So this is what happens. But because of the cracks and because of the cutting away, the glory of what is inside is revealed. And this is exactly the principle that God gives in the Bible here to say the cracks reveal the Christ. I have put the glory of the undefeatable, most beautiful, conquering gospel of Jesus Christ in your little broken mind, in your little broken body, in your little broken emotions for the sake of when you break, I reveal myself. It's just like that Gatorade commercial. Is it in you? That's what the Lord is asking this morning, and maybe he's trying to reveal something about yourself. Is it in you? What gets revealed when you start to crack? What's really on the inside? This is what God wants to do. He wants to use the cracks in your life to reveal Christ. And for some of you, maybe he wants to use the cracks to reveal that there is no Christ within you and that you truly need to repent of your sins and trust him. The cracks reveal the Christ. There is a reason for your weakness. And this is why Paul says, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses. Because in them, the power of God is made strong. You know? There is a reason for your current situation and weakness. Number four. Number four, I will not, over, I will not be overcome because God has the final word. Look at verses eight through nine. He says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, this is where I really began to struggle. I remember it was immersed, and I was sitting up there, and I was in the midst of it, just like the darkest, and really just trying to wrestle with the Lord. I sat up there and cried for like four hours, just right there, and uh, just dealing with the Lord. And I remember they were singing um, King of My Heart, which part of it goes, you're never going to let me down, you know. That's as far as I'll go. That's why I'm not a worship leader, okay? I'm not going to. Everybody has their roles, okay? I wish I could be. I always tell them I'd have so much fun, you know. That'd be great. Um, they say, you're never going to let me down. And I just kept thinking, what if God does let you down? I feel let down by God. This feels like a letdown. And I was reading and thinking through this passage Afflicted but not crushed. And I thought, well, what if you do feel crushed? 
this doesn't feel like an affliction. This feels like a crushing, like I'm a pancake or like I'm flat Stanley. I was seeing how many parents would get that. There's a little kid's book called Flat Stanley, and he's flat. That's kind of the point. Okay, so that's it. And uh, I feel like Flat Stanley, like, what do you, you're never going to let me down? You're like, I feel pretty let down by you, actually. I can sing it, but I don't mean it right now. And I just begin to struggle. I'm a pastor, for goodness sake, you know? I'm not allowed to think those thoughts. Of course I am, okay, I'm just saying. And then looking at this passage and saying, okay, afflicted but not crushed. I feel crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Uh, this feels like despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get back up. This feels like a destruction. You know, like, okay, so what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? If some of you have felt that feeling before with the Lord, say, okay, well, what do you do with that? Yeah. And what I began to understand with the Lord is one of the things, you know, obviously, 2 Corinthians 10 says, you take captive every thought, you submit it to the lordship of Christ. Now, my feelings do not determine my faith, but the word of God determines my faith. And so instead of saying, I feel crushed, and I feel completely destroyed, I must tell myself the truth to say, God has told me this is an affliction. I am not crushed. God has told me this is a moment of perplexion. I do not have to and will not be in complete despair. God has told me that I am simply struck down even though I feel destroyed. And the word that began to come to me that I felt was really helpful was I would look at my situation and I would say, almost. I would look at that struggle and I would say, almost. You know, as far as your trouble can take you is almost. It can't take you out. It can only take you to almost. Almost. Look at that and say, oh, you got me, but almost. I feel like it's over, but God's told me otherwise, almost. You've been bothering my brain, and I've been struggling to fight every day for the right thoughts. I feel overwhelmed, but almost, almost. Almost. You have told yourself, I am destroyed. And God says, no, almost. You have told yourself, I am in despair. And God says, no, almost. You have told yourself, I am crushed. And God says, no, almost. And God will only let it go as far as almost because God has the last word. Seriously, I want you to look at that thing in your mind and say, almost. Turn to your neighbor and say almost, okay? Say almost. This is a very important word. Say almost, 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 almost. I'm telling you that word began to bless my soul because I tell myself I am crushed, and God says my word says almost. That God has the final and the last word. I will not be overcome because God has the final word. Though I may be afflicted, I am not crushed. That is simply the truth. Though I may be perplexed, I am not in despair. That is the truth. Though I may be persecuted, I am not forsaken. Though I may be struck down, I am not destroyed. That is the truth. And my feelings will not determine my faith. The truth will. So tell your brain, tell your heart, tell your struggles, tell them almost and begin to let faith rise in your heart. God has the last word for those who trust in Christ. This is why Romans 8 exists. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I am more than a conqueror through him. Even death, when it comes, is an almost. When death takes you, it doesn't take you out. It just is an open door to the new life you have in Christ, almost. Did death take him out? Almost. 
No, this is a new life in Christ. You need to tell yourself, tell your soul, tell your mind, and tell your struggle. Tell them almost. God has the last word. Number five, the death that is at work in me is life for others. I carry the death of Jesus so I can give away the life of Jesus. He says, I'm always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested. I'm given over to death so life may be manifested in our mortal flesh. This is the same as what we just talked about with the jars of clay. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Hear me. If you want to dispense the life of Jesus to others, you must carry the death of Jesus on yourself. This is the way to giving away the life of Jesus. He says, death is at work in me, but because death is at work in me, life is at work in you. And then we come together as a body and we trade off on these things, you know, to say, I'm experiencing a great death, but to you it's life. And then you'll experience a great death, but to me it's life. And then so on and so on and so on we go. I was just talking to somebody who came up to me and said, it's so I'm so glad it's so nice that you can relate to my struggles, you know? And then he felt bad saying, well, I didn't mean to say it's nice you're suffering, you know? I didn't mean to say I'm glad that you're going through that, but I get it. And what is God saying? That's the point. It is nice kind of because the death that is at work in me is now producing life in you. But that doesn't just happen for pastors. This is how it works itself out for all of us to say, the death that is at work in me is life in others. The reason why the life of Jesus exists in my mortal flesh is so that when my mortal flesh is beat down, the beauty of Jesus Christ can be displayed. What kind of faith is so beautiful to see when life is going difficult, but a faith that still believes and trusts in Jesus? That's the kind of faith that sustains and that remains. God says to you, if you care about giving away the life of Jesus, then you must by necessity carry the death of Jesus. And there is no giving of life without the experience of death. This is what it calls, this is what it means when Jesus says, take up your cross, count the cost and follow me. Are you willing to carry the death of Jesus so that you can give away the life of Jesus? The death that is at work in you is life for others. Be encouraged today, Christian. Remember, as we talked about many weeks ago, several weeks ago, in seasons of life, it won't always feel like death. Sometimes you'll feel like on the other side of it, you know, that you're feeling good, life is coming to you, and so on and so on, we trade with each other. This is the experience that I have been having that many of you had, and as we talked about a few weeks ago, a seed must go into a dark and lonely place so that it can bloom and produce something beautiful, and without a seed being planted in somewhere dark, lonely, and scary, there will be no vegetable, there will be no fruit, there will be no flower. That is the only way to do it, and so some of you need to be reminded today that the death that you are experiencing now might just as well be a seed being planted into the ground that is going to bear fruit, blossom, and prove to be beautiful, maybe to you, but definitely to someone else. You need to have God's perspective, God's perspective on your life and what is going on. This could be part of the answer to what is happening to me. The death that is at work in you is giving life to someone else. Number six, through it all there is resurrection power. The mercy that I received for ministry from verse one is the same mercy that will carry me through it. The mercy that called me into this work is the mercy that will carry me through this work. The mercy that brought me into this situation is the mercy that will carry me through this situation. As a matter of fact, I even get more than that because God gives me a new mercy every morning. I must remember, this is so important. Why does he put these two things together? You're always gonna be carrying around the death of Jesus. Then you feel, oh, but then he says, but don't forget that he who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise you with him. 
as you carry the death of Jesus in your life and as you experience the cross of Christ in a variety of ways and seasons in your life, as that heaviness begins to come down on you in different seasons of your life, and as you walk to serve others for Jesus' sake, what you have to remember is though this may feel like death, I still have resurrection power. And without a death, there is no resurrection. And so you tell yourself, I am carrying the death of Jesus, but I'm also walking in the resurrection power of Jesus. Both those things are true all the time. I carry the death, and I walk in resurrection power. I carry the death, and I walk in resurrection power. And it is the resurrection power of Jesus that enables me and you to carry the death over and over and over again. It's not that he's asking you just to constantly die, but he's saying, listen, you come and carry my death, and I will give you my life. And it isn't a trade, you know, say, okay, I'll carry your death, and you give me your life. And I'd much rather have your life than my life. Because in the life of Jesus, there's resurrection power. In the life of Jesus, there's supernatural power. In the life of Jesus, there's real change. In the life of Jesus, there's real hope. In the life of Jesus, there's real joy. In the life of Jesus, there's real peace. In the life of Jesus, there's perfection. They say, I want the life of Jesus. So God says, I'll make you a trade. You carry the death of Jesus, I'll give you the life of Jesus. Listen to me, those of you who are struggling, you're like, you're done, you know? You come here and you're like, in the battle of the mental health struggle and the emotional depression, you're waking up and things really suck and you're sad and all these different things. You're trying to wrestle with these things, these realities. These are things, I, just for an example, I had a decent week and then Saturday morning, I woke up sad. And some of y'all might be like, welcome to the club, Nate. You're like, duh, like this happens to me all the time. I mean, sad, like sad for no reason. Nothing had happened bad. It just sad. Not like, oh, I'm a little sad. This is annoying. Like I can hardly function right now. It's like a heaviness. Like I've described like the blanket. Like somebody just, I'm just like, huh, you know, just shake it off of me. I'll get so sick of it. How am I going to manage today? I have six kids, a parent, a wife to serve. I have all these things I want to do. How am I going to manage today? Well, as I experience and carry the death of Christ, I must remember that I have the resurrection power of Christ. I can face this day because the same God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. I can deal with this heaviness because Isaiah 61 says God wants to give you praise for heaviness, joy for mourning, beauty for ashes. These are the promises God has made to me that are secured by his death and resurrection. When I feel beat down and when I feel struggling, when I feel like I just can't do it, I must remember that as I carry the death of Christ, I also walk in the resurrection power of Christ. Don't let Satan make you feel always defeated. Don't let the lie come to you that it'll always feel like this. Don't let the lie come to you that this is greater than the, the power of Christ on the other side. No, 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 no. As you walk in your death and as you experience your struggle, you carry with you and it resides within you the resurrection power of Jesus. Remember that and walk in it. Number seven, the trial creates the treasure. The affliction I experience now produces glory forever. I just realized that rhymes. It wasn't even on purpose. The trial creates the treasure. The affliction I experience now produces glory forever. Look at verse 17. This sounds like an insult, but it's not. For this light and momentary affliction. What if, you, what if uh, that was my counseling session? You came to me and said, man, this is heavy. I was like, that's light. Ooh, light. You're like, yo, I'm just walking through this divorce. But that's light, bro. Yo, I've been depressed for an entire year. I can't even get out of bed. That's light. You'd be like, you are the worst pastor I've ever seen, and I'm never coming back to this church ever again. 
And obviously there's a way to use scripture appropriately and not. But here's what he's saying. He wants to give you perspective. This, just look, just name it, whatever it is you're going through, and just look at it. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The suffering and the trial is the cook, and the cook is making up a cake. And if you'll let the cook cook, then you'll get to eat the cake. You see what I'm saying? It's deeply connected one to the other. The trial, the pain, the weakness, is not meaningless and it's not random, but it's cooking up something for you that you're going to enjoy forever. Let the cook cook. Let him do his work because you're going to reap the benefits of that one day. You see, this is so connected. God is so good to say, even in your deepest struggles and your trials and your pain, these afflictions are preparing something for you. It isn't just get through it. It isn't just, well, it'll be okay. It's no, no, no. Because of this trial, I'm going to give you this treasure. Because of this suffering, I'm going to give you this to enjoy. And God connects the two, and he's your good father. So it's not that he's sees you in suffering is like, well, I don't care. But he sees it, but he also sees you in heaven. And he knows that if you endure these 10 minutes on earth, that you will experience these 10 billion years in heaven. And he says, well, that's way better. And so I'm going to let the cook do its work. And I'm going to let the cook make the cake. And it's going to feel painful and it's not going to make sense for 10 minutes, but they're going to enjoy this for 10 billion years. This is God's perspective on your life. You got to see what God sees. You gotta see what God sees. You need God's perspective. The trial creates the treasure. The affliction I experience now produces glory forever. It is not meaningless, it is not random, but God is using it, particularly it, the very thing that it is, to allow you to experience something that you will enjoy forever. Remember God's Father's heart to you, and He wants to give you the very best. And so, if the very best of eternity, means a few troubles and trials on earth, and he's going to make that trade for you because he knows what's better for you. If I told my child to give me that old toy and trust me, they must understand in that moment my heart to them that what seems like a loss is going to be a transaction for something better. And this is what God's heart is for us, and this is the perspective we must have to navigate the trials and the troubles that will surely come The trial creates the treasure. Number eight and final, I must look to what is unseen instead of what is seen. I cannot let my current problems blur my vision of God's future promises. I must look to what is unseen. Look at verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I cannot, I refuse to let my current problems blur my vision of God's future promises. This is where the Lord really wants to do some work in your life, and this is what I believe, even with the John 5, I only do what I see the Father doing. It's very easy, very easy to see what you can see. It's very easy to look upon your enemy. It's very easy to see the mental health struggle and to understand, it's very easy to see how you feel right now. It's very easy to see what is against you. It's very easy to see that issue with your body that the doctors told you. It's very easy to look to the things that you can see. But I want you to know this morning that if you continue to only look to the things that you can see, you're going to continue to struggle. The Lord wants to do something different in your life. And he wants to open the gates 
and to give you vision for the things that you cannot see. He wants to give you the perspective of heaven. He wants to give you the perspective of your spiritual growth. He wants to give you the perspective of becoming more like Jesus. He wants to give you the perspective of what he's doing in your life that you can't quite completely discern and understand, but that he's working. He wants to give you the perspective that it'll be worth it. He wants to give you the perspective that he is your shepherd, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. He wants to give you eyes to see his presence with you now. He wants to give you eyes to see what heaven will be like in relation to this current struggle. He wants to give you eyes to see who he is, his love and his tender care for you now. I'm telling you that you must, by an act of faith, and by committing to the word of God, begin to fix your eyes on things that you cannot see. Because what is seen is transient. It changes. It comes and goes. But what you cannot see will last forever. And so if you fix your eyes on what you can see, you will feel transient. Something that's temporary, you'll act like it's forever. But if you fix your eyes on what you cannot see, you're going to be able to look at that and say, this light and momentary affliction. And with the eyes of faith, you're going to believe that it's producing something you will enjoy forever. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as, we're, as we see throughout this whole passage, these things are only available to us in Christ. And so if these eight things help navigate your current struggle, it is only available in Christ. And like I said in the beginning, God must reveal himself to you. So maybe during this time, God has revealed not only who Jesus is, his life, death, and resurrection for you, but his Father's heart towards you to help you navigate your current struggles and trials. He wants not only for you to believe in him, but he wants to father you and to love you and care for you. And I I ask you this morning to repent, to believe on Christ and be saved. As we said last week, you cannot move forward without following Jesus. And this is your first step today. And for many of us who are in Christ, I encourage you with these eight things. God says to you this morning from his very mouth, do not lose heart. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your care for us. We thank you for the word of God that strengthens us and stabilizes us and supports us and shows us what you're all about. I pray that it would work so deeply within our hearts. I pray that you would minister to the brokenhearted, to the crushed in spirit, the anxious, the depressed, the hopeless, the lost, the confused, the frustrated. I pray that you would make us more like Jesus today. I pray that we would receive life as it is, as a gift from you, as a mercy from you, as our Father. I pray that you would give us spiritual eyes to see the unseen, to see the unseen more than we can see what we can see with our physical eyes, what we can feel with our physical bodies, Lord. Give us supernatural vision and insight based off your word. We love you, and we thank you so much for your tender care for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you all stand, let's respond to the Lord.